It's 8.40 on the morning flavor and it is time for personal mastery. So today we're talking about emotional eating. Dr. Tebisoma Denji joins us on the line now to unpack all of this and what it's about. Maybe you are an emotional eater. Maybe there's food that you source comfort in for reasons beyond just actually that the food actually tastes great. You know what I mean? That there's more to it. So let's understand this whole thing better. We might just be talking to you. If this is something that you relate to, feel free to call us 089-110-3377 or send us your number on our WhatsApp line. We'll call you back or just voice notes 071-585-6157. Dr. Matenji, good morning. Thank you for your time. Oh, wow. Good morning, family. How are you guys? Well, we are okay. Um, given, you know, just all the sad news that's going around and, uh, you know, the death of Patrick Shai as well, we heard about over the weekend. And and before we get into this conversation, Doc, I mean, I know there's a whole lot of stories flying around, but I mean, there, there's a great sense here that a lot of us aren't perhaps um, okay emotionally, psychologically, that things are not, you know, kosher and whatever. And sometimes it's hard to make sense of all of this, even when you consider how some people are, you know, depressed and going through so much. I mean, what do you do in this in this time? A, as somebody who maybe wants to help. B, as somebody who is absolutely struggling with life's problems. Um, most of us do go through challenges. The Akhonan Kruisanilin, and I don't know what the equivalent in English is, but nobody's life is perfect. I think that's the closest I can come with relating. Mm. And when you are going, going through challenges, um, it feels like you are alone. And for a lot of people, they get overwhelmed so much and feel isolated. Some people actually retract, they pull away from those that are loved ones. So that even when people around you who care, who are attentive, um, are actually engaging with you, they might not necessarily even be, be able to notice that you're going through strife. Not everybody when they're going through strife is able to communicate and share and cry out. Mm. But if you are a loved one and you are noticing certain changes and particularly today we're talking about when you are noticing that somebody is just literally just seems to be using food to try and comfort themselves to try and deal with whatever might be going on that you don't understand it's an opportunity for you to begin the conversation and actually find out what's going on mm. but if your loved one is going through a lot and you want to be able to be there honestly important to keep checking in with each other and there's different ways of checking in and sometimes when we check in we just say oh um are you okay you know or in a shop or mel are you okay how are things what have you been busy with and we remain at the task oriented or at the superficial level in terms of just asking us ah now i know it's january it's mm. tough or 2021 was tough yeah. we need to be able to recognize that checking in can also be about how you are doing emotionally how so. your body is doing physically how you're doing What's happening in the environment, apart from simply just asking about work and the hustle and the, dra- and the drag of life. So allow the conversation to go to different levels. But when we come to emotional eating, and this is defined as uh, when people use food to deal or to cope or to regulate what is happening that has created emotional distress for them. Mm. It is recognizing that your eating habits, your your rate of eating or your increased eating is in response to whatever is creating strife for you. Mm. And therefore, your emotions become regulated by your food intake. Now, there's different ways that people can take in. And hopefully, when you are a loved one paying attention, you might be able to notice this. That when we are in a stressful environment, uh, there is an opportunity for us to 
to be able to react to the problem, to the issue, to the stress in different ways. There's what is called task or problem-oriented coping, which is, I guess, getting to doing what needs to get done to try and address the thing that is creating stress for me. I try and do scenario planning, as I spoke last week when we were talking about the metric results. I try and solve the issue. But sometimes in solving the issue, it might make it look like I'm making forward movement when, in fact, my heart, my emotions, my soul, I am not doing it well. Mm. So we might focus on these are the troubleshooting things. We need to go and apply. We need to do this. We need to solve this problem. But there's emotions that are also involved that some of us might not necessarily be very good in responding. So another way of coping is the emotion-oriented coping, where you try to regulate the emotions demonstrated by you doing things to make you comfort, to make you soothe, Mm. to make you feel nurtured. And those things are actually being done to try and allow you to resolve or to deal with the stressful emotions. And there's a paper that was done by Enlen Park in 1994 that actually talks about these different methods. And the last one is what we some of, some of us use, which is avoidance. You simply uh, ignore or you want to get rid of whatever it is that is causing you stress. And you might even begin to distract yourself by doing work, by doing a lot of exercise, by talking a lot, by drinking a lot, anything to just get you to avoid dealing with the issue that is creating the distress. So look first at the pattern that you use when you are facing um, strife and sure. how you are coping with it, and whether you use problem-oriented or task-oriented coping, whether you are much more motion-oriented, or whether you are using address-oriented, uh, avoidance-oriented coping. Emotional yeah. eating tends to be associated a lot to people who are relying on emotion and avoidance-oriented type of mm. coping. So I am aware of what I'm feeling, sure. and I cannot, I don't know how to handle it, so I resort to eating my emotions. Or I'm avoiding what I am feeling, and I resort to uh, um, using food to just distract me from addressing what I need to do. And maybe because I don't feel I have the competence, the capacity, the resources, the support to be able to focus on the task that will help me alleviate the problem, or I've mainly dealt with it that way, I've been focusing on what needs to get done, and I've neglected the nurturing, the supporting, the, he- the healing, the caring component of me feeling nurtured and grounded in terms of my emotions. Yeah, and as you as you stuff your face, uh, there's also the the physical aspects of it, where there's you know there's a risk of gaining weight, which for some people is absolutely um, heartbreaking because then people start to say, oh, so so let's do it, you know, etc. Yeah. etc. But yeah, um, emotional eating—that's the topic today. Yes, Mel. Yeah, Doc, you know, uh, we were chatting before we actually started to speak to you. um, And I was saying, is it not those emotional patterns that you were talking about? How often are those patterns established in childhood? Um, Because you'll find that very often people will say, oh, when, you know, when they start to examine it, that, oh, this is actually what I did because my mom said X or, you know. I find that interesting because as I was preparing for the show, I was reading different publications in terms of what are the associations between your eating habits and how food is handled in the home and how emotions are handled when you're growing up and how that actually ends up predisposing you to relying on emotional eating as you grow up in terms of dealing with stressful situations. And I think that question becomes important. I was actually looking in terms of breastfeeding, whether the duration in which we breastfeed our children and the bond that is the attachment that you have 
between the mother and the child actually ends up uh, having some kind of predictive factor when you are born. Now, this is something that I'm still reading, but I found it interesting that I'm finding literature that is suggesting that. But there's also an indication, obviously, that the more you breastfeed a child, the more you create um, secure attachment bonds between the child and the primary caregiver. They actually learn how to be able to um, feel secure. They learn how to be able to feel safe to express their emotions. And because of that relationship, that the parent is able to regulate and help the child to be able to deal with whatever they're dealing with. Obviously, um, assuming that it's going to necessarily be dealing with those emotions in a way that is healthy. But we, there's also research that is talking about the fact that how we as children experience our emotions and the safety that is created in our home environment to be able to meaningfully address our emotions and express them and then have the problems that are create, that is creating stress to resolve those problems. It's part of how actually ends up informing our emotional eating. For example, Fathers, mothers end up trying to make our children cope with what is creating problems for them by giving them food. Mm. So you find that we're having a stressful situation, we are worried about your results, or we are angry with you, we throw food at you. Sometimes I'm going to use black parents that we don't know how to apologize when there's strife in our, in our home. And then you think by cooking and having everybody sit together and eat the food, and we actually tell them, you know, just being able to say, you should be grateful that you've got food, therefore you shouldn't complain, and whatever problem that you are having uh, should be sorted because at least you've got a plate of food in front of you. We end up actually creating some of these opportunities for uh, the association between a distressing situation and food just getting connected. Now, obviously, what I'm saying is overly simplistic. I would love for people to be able to read more about it. Sure. But we can link some of these childhood patterns and the familial um, um, relationship in terms of how we deal with stressful situations, how we deal with problems, what we model, and how we actually end up making food that thing that allows us uh, to be able to find as a, um, a scapegoat instead of addressing um, um, the, the issues that we are, we are, we are dealing with. Mm. Now, there's something else that I want to share, sure. and it's, 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 it's something called alexithemia, and I was excited to hear that, oh, there is a word that it, this is called, but mm. one of the key things to be able to try and circumvent or address or improve in terms of learning how to not rely on emotional eating is that pay attention if you are the kind of person who has alexithemia. What is that? That is difficulty in identifying your emotions. Now, what that means is a lot of us, when we do therapy with people, the first step is to teach you to have emotional literacy, to teach you to know what you are feeling, what is causing it, how does it fit physiologically on your, on, in your body, the somatic experience, how does it manifest in specific behavior, how does it manifest in certain thoughts, and then reactions, and then engagement and interactions with other people. So when you learn emotional literacy, especially when you teach your children to learn how to identify and express, articulate what they're feeling, you actually start now trying to uh, create an environment where you you rewire or unlearn these habits of if I'm feeling something that is stressing on my fridge for the fridge, if I'm not comfortable or I've got an emotional sense of being overwhelmed by something or triggered, let me reach for something to eat. So some of that conversation in terms of what are you feeling? What is making you feel this? Or how does it fit mm. in your body? Okay, let's find a way that is healthy, that is adaptive to help you deal with the distressor. That is also another way of trying to address emotional eating and maybe even prevent it. Mm. Yeah, I mean it's it, it's it's a it's um it's very important, Doc, to be able to be able to manage our feelings and to be able to understand what they are and what we're feeling. And um, I guess you know, when food tastes so good as well, I mean it just uh, makes it all the more interesting. But ultimately. Um, you might find yourself in a situation without even being aware of it. So uh, maybe this entire conversation is totally relating to you. 
Dr. Matenchi is on the line. We're talking emotional eating. All right, it's 8.53. Dr. Matenchi is on the line for personal mastery. We're talking emotional eating and um, just trying to navigate this world of emotions that is inside of you and uh, not resorting to things that could ultimately just contribute, finding better ways to cope. Doc, as we wrap, somebody's probably dealing with this right now and they feel like this is the only solution that... This is perhaps the only way that they can manage. What do you say to that person in giving them some sense of encouragement and even strength to take the first step? Um, that self-awareness becomes important. Be aware of when you are reaching for food because you are bored, because you are missing stimulation, because you're feeling detached or that you are lonely. But also be aware of when you are reaching for food because there's other emotions and those ones. You talk about anxiety, talk about anger, talk about sadness or depression. Recognize what your relationship with food is. Are you able to identify your emotions in terms of what is actually, what is the overwhelm that you're feeling? And at the physiological level, recognize how emotions sit in your body. And I speak a lot with women where they are actually able to recognize about physical manifestations of emotions, but they don't necessarily are able to identify what that emotion is. For example, this is my favorite. A woman saying, like, uh, I don't know biological if that's true, but you find that a person says, uh, how do you translate in English? My womb is cold. Or the inside, somewhere down there is cold. Or people uh, complaining about aches and pains in their shoulders in their backs. So recognize physiologically how emotions sit on your body. And there's this gestalt technique that we use where we make you draw an outline of yourself and then we use different colors to represent different emotions. And then we ask you, for example, where does stress and anxiety with a purple color sit on your body? Because just that awareness, you might not necessarily be able to identify the emotion, but an awareness that your body never lies. Mm. It registers, it records, and it retains, it keeps a memory of what emotion are you going through? So whatever distress you are having, before you reach for the food, just check in. Check in, what am I feeling? What is my body telling me? And what can I do to address that sensation, that place in my body and address it? Rather than simply think by eating, it will actually help me soothe that pain, that, that, that pain or that distress or that discomfort that I'm experiencing. And then when you begin to articulate it into words, express it. I love this thing that people have got phones where they can do voice notes. You don't have to journal by uh, talking or writing. You can actually speak into your phone. Speak in terms of, or I've got cramps, or I'm having nightmares, or I am not sleeping, or I am having a headache. Where the, head, the headache is registering on your temples, at the back or in the front, on your eyes, be able to recognize those things. Recognize how you are dressing, the underwear that you are wearing, the clothes that you are wearing. There might be indicators that actually you are really not feeling so well because you're busy wearing that painting that you know is completely, it's a it's dark color, but you're not even intentional about how you are showing up, how you're dressing up, or you're just piling up makeup or piling up perfume to try and mask the fact that you are not okay. So also pay attention in terms of how you 
you are showing up, how you are engaging with people. And then do that thing in terms of getting feedback. Listen to the feedback that people is telling you about mm. how you are doing. Because mm. that's another way of checking in about how you do. And then let's take to the next step. Where are you struggling in terms of addressing the things that are creating stress for you? Because if you are aware of the things that are creating distress for you and you are aware that you've been relying on, on eating your emotions, and when you move into what do I do now, perhaps it might also highlight where you are struggling and therefore where you should go seeking support to be able to address the things that you need to address in your life. Well, very, very key, Doc. And uh, I hope that this conversation today has landed well on uh, somebody who's perhaps dealing with this or who knows somebody that is. And I hope that we'll be able to find some energy to go forward and uh, just handle, you know, handle all these life things. My goodness. Mm. Doc, thank you so much for joining us again this week and uh, have a fabulous week ahead.